So around the beginning of every year, uh, if you've been with us for a while at Elevate, we always have like a Vision Sunday or, or some sort of Sunday where we talk about the years past, of how God has blessed us, of different things that have happened, some victories that we've had. And then we kind of look forward to the, begin- at the beginning of the new year. We kind of have a theme for the entire year. Um, we talk about the things that are going to happen that you can put on your calendars and everything like that. Uh, but for this year, this is a huge transition year for our church. Uh, we are transitioning from a, being a church plant And then we are going to try our best over the next year and a half to transition to like a, 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 I don't want to say real church because that's not true, Uh, but a a non-church plant, whatever that, whatever that, this church, is that what we're going to say? I don't know. There's not, any way I say it sounds awful, but we're going to do that transition. So we're going to uh, put more things in place that we're going to, that we're going to do for many years to come. Uh, We are going to work through uh, finding elders, uh, local elders for our church, Uh, just different things where we no longer are going to need support from outside, but it's all going to be within our church. So this year is a big year for our church. Um, So I want to take about four weeks and talk about our vision uh, for our church, Um, something that is very, very important. Uh, But this year, Our vision is going to be a trajectory that we are going to put into place for the foreseeable future. Um, So it's it's not about salvation necessarily, but just if you're a church member, uh, if you you consider yourself a Christian, if you consider yourself a member of this church, uh, then this is going to be for you. Uh, The next four weeks, we are going to talk about discipleship at Elevate Christian Church. And I'm gonna to try to define that today and then we're gonna talk about how that happens over the next, uh, next three weeks. Um, but if you are planning on being here, I, I would encourage you to make sure you try to be here over the next four weeks. If you serve in children's, please still serve in children's. Emily will be very thankful uh, for you. Um, but try to watch the, the video online or the podcast uh, so, you that, so you are caught up in everything like that. Um, so our mission statement, um, that you if, you, if you don't know this, our church name first is Elevate Christian Church, and our mission statement is we elevate people towards Christ. We help people elevate people uh, towards Christ, and that will continue to be our mission statement. Uh, it's easy to remember the name is in the mission statement, so like Elevate Christian Church, Elevate People Towards Christ, it's kind of an easy thing uh, to do, but over the next four weeks, we're going to say, okay, we are going to elevate people towards Christ, but how do we elevate people towards Christ? And we're going to try to answer that. And my whole thing about this is the way that we elevate people towards Christ is to help set people on a path to become like Jesus. If you've been around Elevate for a while, um, G, uh, tor- elevating people towards Jesus is something that you've heard a lot. Um, but, but it's not just if you're on staff it's not just if you're an elder. It, it, this is for everybody. If you, if you claim Jesus in your title at any point, this is going to be for you. Because we believe that Jesus is not something that you, just, that you just attend on Sunday morning or you're just being a part of or being a Christian is just something that you tell people. But we believe that it is an all-encompassing way of life. That Jesus set a path of life and we need to follow that path. Some of you might have known, if you, if you talk to me on a weekly basis or you've talked to me uh, at a more of a surface level over the past year, you know um, that I have kind of felt like I've fallen, not short, but just kind of felt stagnant on my discipleship 
uh, with Jesus. Um, all of my staff know about this because I've been complaining about it for a year. Drew really knows about it because he's with me all the time. He claims that I had a preaching crisis. I wouldn't claim that. That, does, that makes me sound crazy. Um, but I, I just realized that I was a, a place in my study uh, in relationship to Jesus that I needed to go in a direction. I just didn't know what it was. So I talked to mentors. I talked to my friends who are pastors. And I, I've just basically got the same answer. Like, it all surrounded leadership skills, which is important. Leadership is important. Leading people, leading a church, leading an organization, the boring side that you don't see, the Sunday morning side, which is really awesome, the community group side, which is great, leading a staff. It is all important, but I didn't want to just boil the rest of my 30, 40 years of ministry down to go leading, reading leadership books that are boring and going to leadership conferences. And then when I get up here, I give you three reasons why you need to lead your life, etc. I don't think that's what you want me to talk about over the next 30 years. That sounds really boring. Nobody wants to hear leadership stuff on Sunday morning. So this is what I read. It said this in John 14, 23 through 27. Jesus, Jesus says this in, in reply. He said, anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. My father will love them and, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They, be, they belong to the father who has sent me. All of this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid." I remember reading this, and I've taught on this scripture in the past year, and just reflecting on this, I have not been settled in a long time. I felt like I haven't been at peace in a long time. And I remember feeling like this, and I, I sent out just kind of a blast text or individual text to some, some people in this church, and, and we realized that this year has been hard, hasn't it? It's been tiresome. That a lot of people, yes, we come and we celebrate here on Sunday mornings and it's beautiful and we, we, get, we laugh and we, we make silly jokes and we poke fun at each other and the guys say ridiculous things on stage and do ridiculous things up here and in the lobby and everybody's, you know, laughing and it's kind of like a break for just a little bit of your week. But, but when I read that scripture, it says, peace I leave you and peace I give you. It's hard to believe that is true sometimes. And when I read this scripture, I felt like I was missing something. I was like, God, I've, I've been preaching your word for a long time. I've been studying your word for a long time. I've devoted my life to you. And this word peace is something that I just don't receive very often. And I know that you can't control everything. And you know you can't control everything. You can't control your job. You can't control people around you, death, things breaking, etc. But when I read when Jesus says that if you are a Christian, that you should receive peace, whenever something bad happens in my life, I probably should respond in a better way than I responded this year. A great leadership quote that, that we have lived our life by, Stephen Covey, in one of the most popular books ever, Seven Habits of Effective People, he said this, your systems are perfectly designed to get the result that you are getting. 
So I, d- I did a lot of research. I've read a lot of books. And I've realized that my system, it might not be your system, but my system, the, the church system that I grew up in following and living is not giving the results that Jesus talks about in his gospel. Many of us, including myself, over years, have missed a huge portion, and I want to do my best over the next three weeks to help us give language behind this and orient our church moving forward around this. Now let me give a disclaimer real quick. What I'm not talking about is eternal salvation in this. Like if you're baptized, you, you've repented, you, you, you do the necessary things that we've all turned about, you will have eternity with Jesus in heaven. That is not what I'm talking about in, in this. What I'm talking about is the here and now. After you're baptized, what are, in the world are you supposed to do to receive peace in your life is what I'm going to talk about. And, and through this entire year, I, I've, I've read a ton of books. I've, read a ton of pod, I've listened to a ton of podcasts. I've, I've talked to a bunch of different ministers. And basically all of these people agree in what Jesus alluded to is that we are all being formed into something. That everything in our life has an influence on our life and, and everything is pulling us in a different direction and we are being formed into something. So if our, if our entire day schedule is our system, that's, what, that's, that's a system that we designed, we hope to receive something at the end, that is our biggest influence on our life. Because each of us is becoming something. And that is the crux of the human existence, isn't it? Like that is the process of becoming something or a human. To be human is to change, to grow, to evolve. That's by God's design. You start out as a baby and then you grow and you change over time and you become something in your life. So the question is not, am I becoming a person? Yes, you are becoming a person. The real question is, what am I or who am I becoming in the process? There are a billion things that are trying to grab our attention in this world, isn't there? We have a phone in our back pockets that, are, that have advertising and, and we have uh, social media and we have things grabbing in our attention on you should do this or you should do this, you should buy that, you should go here, you should spend time doing this or you shouldn't spend your time doing this, this is good, this is bad, you should follow this group or this group or this party or not this party. We all have things pulling for our attention and we all know it. John Mark Comer in one of his books said this, for those of us who desire to follow Jesus, Here is the reality that we must turn and face. If we're not being intentionally formed by Jesus himself, then it's highly likely we are being unintentionally formed by someone or something else. So here's a better question that we need to answer today. Who are you allowing in your life to be your teacher? Or in, in Bible terms, what rabbi or teacher are you following today? If I can spend just a, like three minutes nerding out on you with Bible stuff real quick, and if you're not a fan of this, just wait like three minutes and we'll get to application. That's okay. But if you were a, a, a Jew growing up, if you were a boy growing up, or if you, if you were a mom and you had a Jewish boy, this is the process of what they would experience in the first like 12 years of life. Uh, they would go to school whenever they became of age, you know, like kindergarten age, and it was like considered elementary, and it was called Bet Safer, uh, which would translate the, the house of the book. And the curriculum was really simple. The curriculum was the first five books of the Old Testament. 
And they would spend from year about four or five all the way to year 12 doing their best to memorize these five books of the Bible. And that's, if you don't know that, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would memorize all of it. And the reason they would memorize it is because it was a very oral tradition. A lot of people couldn't read, couldn't write. So everything was passed down through, through words, through conversation. So they thought if they just taught all the boys the first five books of the Old Testament, they could just teach their kids as well. And at the age of 12 to 13, most boys would stop school at this point. Uh, they, would, they would end up leaving school, and then they would just go and learn a trade, mostly whatever their father was. Whatever their father did, they would just go apprentice other their father. If they did woodworking, they would, they would learn how to do that skill, and they would learn, and then eventually the, the process would repeat. They would have a boy, they would go through the schooling, they would learn a trade, and basically your trade was a part of your home, and that's what your family did. But for the best of the best— they would go into what we would consider like a graduate program or, or maybe college program. And if you were really good at memorizing the first five books, you would spend the next five years or four years learning the rest of the writings of the Old Testament that we have today. And then the best of the best, the best of the best, would eventually be invited to what we would consider some sort of grad program. And it wasn't going in school and you would just learn from a, t from a teacher like a classroom that we have today. What it would look like is you would basically have uh, what we call discipleship, or you would just follow a teacher around for a long time to learn how they were a preacher, or they were, they were a teacher, or the, the Bible term, a rabbi. So you would go through all 17 years of learning all the Old Testament, and then they would sit all the kids in a classroom— and rabbis from all over the area would come to this school and they would just grill them on how well they knew the Old Testament. And the best of the best, the rabbis would pick out their favorites and they would go to these kids and ask them a simple question or tell them, hey, come and follow me. Or, hey, would you like to come an apprentice under me? Or come be my disciple. And if you were chosen this, this was like the height of the civilization. If you had a boy or you were a boy, your like, ultimate goal to be the highest part of society was to become a rabbi, to become a teacher, to, to, to lead people to follow God, to make sure people were following his commands. That was like the best career path that you could take. And if you were chosen to be that, which was very small percentage, then you had three goals that you wanted to accomplish. The first one is to be, just be with your rabbi. You would give up your entire life. It wasn't just like, a, like you would go to school Monday through Friday like today. You would get there at 7.30, you would leave at 3.30 or, or 8.30 and 3.30. You would leave absolutely everything and you would basically live with this rabbi. You would follow him around Monday through Sunday. It would be your entire life. You would revolve everything around this rabbi's life. The second goal that you would have is to become like your rabbi. Not only just be with him, but you would try to learn everything about him. You would apprentice, would apprentice not just be with him, but you would 
orient his training around him. You would learn his teaching. Every rabbi brought something called a yoke or like their interpretation of the Old Testament, and you would learn absolutely everything about that. You would copy their tone of voice. You would copy their mannerisms, their figure of speech, their humor, the way they communicated, the way they loved people, the way they did house visits, the way that they ate, what they did eat, what they didn't eat. You would become literally a carbon copy of this person. And then your third goal would to do as your rabbi did. Eventually, after 15, 20 years, whenever your rabbi thought you were ready, and you became like him in every single way. Like if, if he answered a question, you would answer the exact same way. If, if, if you prepare a meal this way, he would prepare the meal that way. If you would do a house visit, you would, if he did a house visit, you would do the house visit the exact same way. If you were asked about a scripture, you would give the exact same answers. Eventually, your rabbi would look at you and he would say, you have done a great job and you have been a blessing. Now I want you to go and find your own disciples. And he would send you out to go find your own apprentices. You would go to the local school and you would just find the best of the best kids and you would ask them that same question of, hey, come and follow me and let me teach you. That is what it was meant to be a disciple in that day. That, and that is still the path that Jesus took in his life. And that is the path that he went about to find his own disciples, except he gave a little twist to it, if you know the story. This was Jesus' model. In Matthew 4, 18 through 20, it says this, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, if you've been following along in our Matthew series, you know that's like at the top of Israel. Um, it's, it's kind of the poor uh, area. It's, it's where the tradespeople lived. If you, if you wanted to make a living, you had to do fishing or, or carpentry or something like that. And when, when he was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon uh, called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting their nets into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Just like rabbis did in that day, Jesus extended the, those exact same words to them. He said, come, follow me. And if you look at the original language, what Jesus is saying is not just, just follow me around, but the original language is translated, hey, come and walk behind me. Like literally walk behind me, follow me wherever I go. And that was a symbol, and, that was, and it symbolized that what we talked about over this in past, past little bit, that if you wanted to be a disciple of anybody, it in, involved you following that person. Then Jesus gives the final outcome. He said, look, the beginning, you're going to follow me. And then eventually, after three years, the 12 would eventually be sent out in what he describes to go out and fish for people, which is the exact same thing that the Jewish people would do. You would follow your, you would follow your rabbi around, and then eventually you would go find your own disciples. They would give up their entire life, it says there that they, they, they at once left their nets. In the original language, it says that they abandoned what they did. They didn't like put their boats ashore and they put their nets in a perfect little spot so they can come back to it. It's, they abandoned it completely, gave up their life to follow him. 
The other imagery that we have of Jesus, as we've known, is he is the good shepherd, is another image that we get, where he is calling all of his sheep and be placed inside a kind of a pen for a gathering place, and he, he describes himself as the gate. Jesus calls us into that exact same mission. Jesus will call all of his people, and he will call them to f- allow to follow behind Jesus. That is the discipleship process that we should take even to this day. The discipleship process is very clear that we should organize our entire life around three things. That is to, become, to be with Jesus, number one. Number two, to be like him. And then eventually be able to do as he did. To become a disciple of Jesus is to apprentice alongside him. Rabbis in the first century would just choose a few, but and we realize in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus did something vastly different. He said that everybody is welcome into his kingdom. Everybody is welcome to be his disciples. He said, if you want to be my disciple, in quote, then you need to pick up your cross and follow me. And that's what they did. We read that we, he had 12 apostles, but if you read and you're familiar with the, the New Testament and the Gospels, he had hundreds, maybe even thousands of people that just followed him around from town to town just to see what he was going to do next. And he was the first rabbi that not only did he have men follow him, which was the traditional way, but he also invited the women to be disciples as well. He invited absolutely everyone. See, the early church, if you read in the book of Acts, took this so seriously. They became, they became Jesus' disciples so much, and they looked so different from the culture that they were labeled as Christians, not because of the traditional way of Christians today, but people were mocking them because they looked so much like Jesus that they called them little Christs, or they called them Christians, because they put everything away to follow, to make sure they, discipled their, they, they went on the disciple path to follow the way of Jesus. I mean, just think about that. They acted so much like Jesus that they were made fun of by, called, by being called little Christ. Where they, they, they didn't miss the mark at all, and they were so outside of the pocket looking like Jesus that people made fun of them for looking like Jesus. I don't know when the last time I was asked if I was a Christian because I look so much like Jesus. When was the last time you were apprenticing so close to Jesus that you look so much like the teachings that he did that someone looked at you and said, you must be a Christian because of the way that you love. And here's where the current cross is with the way that biblical discipleship happens and the way that the church has kind of went into this path over the past about 100 years. There has been different points in history, mostly surrounding wars, where we have reduced the message of Jesus in many circles to just, if you want to be a Christian, you must believe this, that you are a sinner going to hell that God loves you, 
that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and if you believe him in what he has said, then you can go to heaven when you die. And we have made it more about the minimum requirements to go to heaven than anything else. That if you say a prayer, if you accept Jesus in your heart, you get baptized, you attend church, which are all good things, then I can live a life, even if I'm apart from Jesus, I can still go to heaven because Jesus has me. But there is one problem with that. That that gospel message that has been spread for the past 100 years, even though it is true, has missed one big thing. That it, none of that pushes for requirement to discipleship to Jesus. None of that requires you to become more like Jesus in any way. None of it prompts you to give your entire life up to follow Jesus. All you have to do is believe. For Jesus, if you read the gospel message, salvation and what he talked about had less to do with you getting to heaven, which is an evident endpoint for all believers. But when you read through the gospel message, Jesus spent far more time talking about the here and now and less about you getting into heaven when he, when he leaves or when you pass away. Jesus spent far more time talking about becoming, or spent far more time and less time about Jesus becoming a man, but more about us becoming like him. It's less about a a transaction that baptism equals heaven, and more about inward transformation of becoming more like him. It's not about what he has done, not just about what he has done for us, but it's also what he is doing now and what he will do with us and for us as we disciple with him. When Jesus says he is leaving the Holy Spirit, he is talking about an experience that we can experience now and a transformation that we can experience now into a person of peace joy, and love on this earth, and we don't have to wait 80 years until we die. That is the actual good news that I want to follow in my life. That is hope right now and to come. That is something that I can wrap my head around. See, I don't believe that we were just supposed to get baptized and repent just to try to survive until we die and go to heaven. I don't think that's living life to the full that Jesus was talking about. I think it has way less to do with a transaction, but I think it has to more, do more with a, with a transformation of ourselves to become more like Jesus. It's all about what he has done for us, what he's going to do with us and alongside of us, and the experience of transformation into a person of peace, joy, and love. With all of that in mind, Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. At Elevate, we in, in, in community are going to try our best to focus on both of those things. We do really well in the church focusing on the truth, don't we? We preach about the truth. We get up on stage and and we study about the truth. 
We, we do really well with getting and talking about Jesus and, and, and putting it against culture and saying, we need, to follow, we need to speak truth into our culture. We need to make sure we follow him. But we spend a lot less time putting ourselves on a path of Jesus and putting into practice the ways that he said in our life. And from here on, we are going to do our best to encourage in community together to put all of ourselves on a path to become more like Jesus. In the book of Matthew, Jesus kind of bookends this whole message of welcoming people into community. And then in Matthew 7, he kind of gives this, this whole thing of, if you follow his path, this is what will happen to you. And we've read this before. In Matthew 7, 24 through 27, he said, therefore, he said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his home on a rock. The rains will come down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the home. Yet it did not fall, because it had built his foundation on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on a sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell in a great crash. You will notice in that scripture that both the person who discipled and followed the ways of Jesus and put his commands into practice and the person who did not put his commands into practice, they both went through hard times. They both had, in this, in this scenario, where the, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew. Things will happen in your life. You can't control what happens in your life. You can't control the, the outside sources with your job and health and career and kids and other people around the world. You cannot control that. But what it does say that if you follow the commands of Jesus, one person continued to stand and the other person just fell away. That I would rather, I don't know about you, but I would rather do my best that over time I stand on what he teaches I stand on the way of Jesus, that eventually, over time, when all of these things happen in my life, I am still filled with love. I am still filled with joy. I still have patience and kindness in my life, no matter what's going on in my life. That what, whatever happens in my life, that my reaction to this world is not, man, this is it. I don't think I'm going to come back from here. I think this is the time where it all just crumbles and then life is going to be miserable from now. I never want to experience that again. That even when it feels like everything is going to come crashing down, I can still stand because I believe in the ways of Jesus in my life. This entire year, this past year, we have said over and over and over again that we need to follow Jesus because his ways, we believe, are the best ways. And every single time I just put into practice just a little bit of what Jesus says, he's right. I've gone my entire life trying to do it my own way. I've gone my entire life just wanting to do my own thing, but still go to church. And every single time I do my own thing, my entire life, when something goes wrong, it feels like my entire life is coming down to a crashing pulp. 
every single time I'm like, this is it. My career's over. This is it. My family's going to fall apart. This is it. My kid's never going to be the same. This is it. I never, life is never going to be back the way it is. But through this entire year, I've done my best. And I can stand up here and say, if you put into just a little bit of practice and you follow his ways, there's peace on the other side. There's joy on the other side. That when something happens to you, your first reaction might be a little bit of kindness in your life. And you're consumed with anger and rage in your life. That there actually is, when Jesus says that you can live life to the full, I now believe, I've always believed it because the Bible said it, but now I can say that I've tasted and seen that it is good. And I'm going to do my best, and we're going to do our best as a staff and as an elder team to help teach you and guide you and invite you to come along this journey of all of us doing our best to become disciples of Jesus. So my question for you today, we are all on different sides of this. Some of us have been going to church for a long time. And I wish I'd been going to church for a long time. I hope that in 30 years I never miss a Sunday. I hope God blesses all of us that we don't get sick, nothing goes on, and we can all gather together for the next 30 years, 40 years to become more like him. But my question for you today is as you look on your discipleship path or what you've done over the past 10 years, 5 years, or however long you've been a Christian, do you feel like you are on the path to become more like Jesus or do you feel like you are just a Christian? In the, in the more modern sense of the term. That you just claim to be, a, that you just claim because you come on Sunday, you give, you take communion, but then the rest of the week you just go on to do what you want, but on back on Sundays you come here to receive the blessing. Or are you, do you feel like you are a disciple of Jesus that you don't just receive blessing on Sunday, but you get to receive a blessing every single day of the week because you're following right behind the greatest teacher ever, which is our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Whatever that answer is for you, Jesus gives the exact same invitation for both of us, which is to come, follow him. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what path you've been on the path. It doesn't matter who up to this point has been having the biggest influence in your life, whether it's social media stuff, whether it's the news, whether it's coworkers or music or movies that you've watched or books that you've read. It doesn't matter what your influence have been up to this point. But at some point, if you want to, the option is there to get on the path of Jesus and follow him. To live life to the full to receive peace, joy, and love, and kindness in your life. To be a part of a community that loves and supports you and holds you up and no matter what's going on in your life. So over the next three weeks, we're going to learn and talk about how we can do this. On how to, to be with Jesus, how to become like Jesus, to be, be like him, and to do as he did. So over the next three weeks, I encourage all of you to, to, to make it a point to try to be here. 
And if, you, if you're sick or if you have something else going on, you have a different plan, we're going to put this online and, and, and encourage you to listen to that. And at the end of this series, there's going to be an announcement of what we're going to do moving forward with different uh, communities being built and different Bible studies being built and different discipleship pathways being built. And we want to share all of that with you so you can join uh, across that. How we're going to try to impact our community like Jesus and invite our community to be uh, to join a path with us and all of that we're going to talk about at the end of the series. But as we start the new year off, this is the last year of 2023. The new year starts, and even no, tomorrow's the new day. A lot of us are going to have new goals for the next year. I don't know if you guys are goal people, um, but what I've realized in the new year celebration is last year, me and Drew came together, and we had all of these goals. Uh, we, we got together, we went on retreat, and we were like, hey, we're going to accomplish this this year. We're going to accomplish this this year. We're going to do this. This is what we hope to accomplish in our career, in our personal lives. And I can tell you none of those were accomplished. The reason is because we were just trying to do it on our own strength. I believe that you can get pretty far with willpower, but there is an end point with your own willpower. That if you partner with the Holy Spirit and you get on the path of Jesus, you can go f- so much further in life than you've ever expected. You can receive so much joy and blessing in your life than you've ever expected. So in this new year, whatever goals you have, whether it's to be more like Jesus, to be a better husband, father, dad, coworker. I encourage you to invite and participate and invite Jesus into that conversation so that we can all become more like him. So God, as we, as we start this new year, as we start our vision series to just figure out how to be disciples of you, God, open up our hearts to just internalize and figure out where we are. God, are we on the path? Are we not on the path? Have we been following your ways? Have we been following our own ways? Have we just been a, a seasonal Christian where we just received blessing on Sunday? But, or have we, have we done our best to try to receive blessing throughout the week? God, our goal should just beca- our, do our best to become more like your son, Jesus. God, help us as a leadership team. Help us as staff. Help us as future elders and mentors. Help our kids and all just to open our hearts and follow the path of your son. God, I pray that at the end of 24, end of 2024, we all experience a peace that we cannot explain. That at the end of 2024, that we are more peaceful, we are more joyful, we are more loving. And that at the end of 2024, when people look at us, they have to say, man, you are Christians because we just look so much like Jesus. God, you are so good. And I ask this all in your son's name. Amen.